Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. My older sister, who's like the golden child, and she did everything right. She married her college sweetheart, had two and a half kids, and like after they got married and, you know, they both graduated and like had degrees and did the thing my sister even homeschooled her kids like my mom did and my brother was the exceptional youngest child which I've heard like the youngest kid always gets all of the like gifts and talents or whatever and that was kind of true for our family my brother's really intelligent academically got a full ride to college helped run a ministry on campus and like became a missionary overseas and Mm -hmm. there just was an expectation placed on me much and like in some ways that's beneficial because like I can do what I want with my life but instead I ended up just trying really hard to prove again that I belonged and that I that I fit in this family welcome to how my parents raised me I'm Dawn Chitty when we are born we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives and what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you you What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us, 
and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, my beautiful friends, welcome back to the podcast. Wherever you're listening from, if you are getting something positive from tuning into this podcast, can you go ahead and give us a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you are listening? This is a very small action that you can take to give back and help more people who need to find these stories to find them. This week, I am chatting with beautiful life and energy coach, Christina Carlson. Christina grew up in a good family. They were churchgoers and Christina was loved and cared for. But there was a lot going on. As the middle child, Christina never felt good enough. Her older sister was the golden child who'd followed all the rules and her brother was the exceptional younger child. They seemed to be doing everything right and yet nobody placed any expectation on Christina which may seem like a positive and yet it left Christina feeling less than. Living with undiagnosed ADHD made life hard and growing up in a family who believed that following all the rules of the church made them good people left Christina very confused. Christina felt like a prisoner inside her own head. She believed even her thoughts were unsafe because there were so many rules around what you were even allowed to think. There are so many reasons we feel less than and this story shares how Christina overcame her low self-worth and is now helping others to do the same. Please join me now for Christina's story. Christina, welcome to the podcast. You are a self-relationship coach and you encourage women to invest in their relationship with themselves. You teach that we should stop doing what we think we should be doing and instead do what inspires us and lights us up to start living according to the quirks, values and individuality we hold inside. And I love all of that so much. And it's so much what I've tried to bring into my own life too. As women, we hold so much trauma and self-doubt from childhood, which often takes us many, many years to even connect in with. And so let's talk a little bit about some of the traumas you were dealing with as a child. One important part of your story is that you had undiagnosed ADHD growing up. How did this lack of diagnosis affect you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I only just discovered I have ADHD at the beginning of this year. So it's only been a few months. But looking back and long before then, I understood a part of my story to be that I wasn't as smart as my siblings. And I carried that with me. I was called like an average student and my siblings were exceptional. And I I didn't have an quote unquote academic bent as people would have seen it. And I really... I tried really hard. And so there was this, this experience of the, this like internalized belief that I wasn't as good as the people around me. And I had to prove that I belonged there. I had to prove that I was smart. And it's kind of, it's kind of created this entire narrative 
in my life that I've been dismantling and taking apart now that I have to prove that I'm good enough and that I have to prove that I'm intelligent, which means honestly overcompensating and overstudying and <laughs> overlearning because I really do love to learn. But that wasn't a thing for girls when we were younger. And also like mental health in general was sort of looked at as a spiritual problem rather than something medical. The only medical things were like maybe extreme and you would go to like an institution. That was kind of yeah. the realm of conscientiousness that we had in our community. Wow. So you're saying, what, what did you say then was a spiritual problem? Like mental health. Right. Wow. So if you if you were depressed, if you were anxious, like anxiety, quote unquote, was not a thing. It was a lack of trust in God. I had anxiety about my anxiety because I needed to confess my anxiety and I forgot. It was it's just like a vortex of overwhelm when that's looked at as like a bad thing instead of like a an intention in like a natural brain path that my brain just took mm. wow that's interesting isn't it that it was seen as a spiritual like I guess that would have been that would have been what was happening in days gone by I mean people who had mental health issues were put in asylums or there was something deeply wrong with them and just those simple messages of you know a parent telling another child you're exceptional it's so simple isn't it those messages that get given to others in the family and then you by default not the exceptional one and we haven't been aware of that sort of messaging I don't think in days gone by you were the middle child in your family as well and how did that position within the family what did that mean for you yeah I think I mean kind of similarly I kind of fell between the cracks I, I got told directly, oh, you're just an average student or just a B student. And um, because I wasn't specifically focused on academics, because it was harder for me to focus on that type of thing, I I really started to invest in interpersonal relationships and studying how people worked through books and through other things. But I was really observant about how people existed and were. And so I just, I managed to like form my own way of doing things and coping there is a different stigma like I have my older sister who's like the golden child and she did everything right she married her college sweetheart had two and a half kids and like after they got married and you know they both graduated and like got degrees and did the thing my sister even homeschooled her kids like my mom did and my brother was the exceptional youngest child, which I've heard like the youngest kid always gets all of the like gifts and talents or whatever. And that was kind of true for our family. My brother's really intelligent academically, got a full ride to college, helped run a ministry on campus and like became a missionary overseas. And there just wasn't expectation placed on me much. And like in some ways that's beneficial because then it was like I can sort of have this like I can do what I want with my life but instead I ended up just trying really hard to prove again that I belonged and that I that I fit in this family and so I went to Bible college and was like well if I can't become something exceptional I'll just like try to become a pastor's wife or a 
you know, like I wanted to like kind of get into a job through a relationship. (laughs) And I mean, that was understandable for my experience. That was really what, you know, it was a really quote unquote, like worthy cause. And, but it just didn't work out for me because I was just so stubborn and Mm -hmm. I didn't last in relationships for too long because I just had too many opinions, even though I wasn't saying I had opinions. Yeah, right. And it's there's so much there. I just when you're talking and saying all the things, it just feels so heavy, you know, that expectation and but probably also on your siblings, right? I mean, there's there's so much expectation there of what makes us successful, what makes us worthy and valuable. And it's it's overwhelming for everybody, I think, in that situation. What do you think you made it mean about you? Who did you think you you were or what was your worth, do you think? I mean, ultimately the root of it was that I didn't matter. Mm. That's the that's like the underlying core belief that is the practice of my life to dismantle and shift. Mm-hmm. Um, but underneath it was just like this, I don't matter. I have to try really hard to try to matter. And so I just, I kind of made it mean that like, that I wasn't as valuable as them because I wasn't like them mm. and I wasn't inside of anything. I always felt like I was on the outside of it, not because I wasn't doing all of the right things, but because I had that belief inside of me that I wasn't good enough. And so it didn't actually matter how much I did. I thought that it would matter how much I did, um, but it didn't matter because it was it was just an internalized belief around that. Yeah, absolutely. And so your family were regular churchgoers. Did you feel safe within that church community? I mean, how does one define safety? Mm. I feel like safety is such an individual thing, right? There there was there were spaces like that I felt physically safe, like could run around and do whatever. I never felt like I shouldn't say never. Most of the time, I didn't feel like I was in in physical danger at all. But I, like from my earliest memories, didn't even feel safe in my own mind Mm -hmm. because of what we were taught about, like God seeing everything and also like that we could sin with our mind and that sin led to hell. And it was just like such a trap, like to even exist in in reality in my mind so I often like would think about stories and go into like fantasies of like pretending to be my a character from a book because if I was focused on that if I was living out a different story that wasn't real that story didn't have hell in it it wasn't a part of it or this character wasn't like me so they couldn't you know fall into this or whatever and so I really never felt safe in my own emotional experience and that's not to say like I think you mentioned before we got on the podcast like every parent is doing their best and I really believe that of my parents they're kind people and they never hit us or anything like that they were they were exceptionally kind for the community that we were in and they really staunchly believed in the things that this community said Mm -hmm. and like to the nth degree and so I was, ta- I was taught these things from my earliest memories and I just didn't have a place that felt safe. And like, I, I don't think I took a full breath until I was like 26 and I let go of the concept of hell. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Yeah, that's so much, isn't it? And just when you said you weren't even safe in your own thoughts or your own brain, because there's rules around that as well. It's so much. And, and, and parents are, they're obviously church going people. They think that this is what they need to do to be good and, and just not seeing all the effects of that because they're so conditioned themselves to believe that this is everything. This is everything. And if they're doing these things and going to church, then they're doing the right thing. You know, it's, it's such a a difficult space, isn't it? Um, Yeah. And like, they really, I mean, they just didn't want us to go to hell, you know, that's, that's the root of it. Like in, in their mind, like, even if it did cause trauma, it was, it was better that than, than lose me for me being tortured forever in hell. Right. Like to them, it was a justifiable like thing, which in, in that framework, if that, if you're really believing that literally, it's like, well, yeah, like, you know, and they saw it. So they saw it so literally, they still do see it so literally that, that it is justifiable in their minds. And and it's not really a trauma. It's just a, like a part of life. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I know you speak about an incident with a youth leader at the church. Yeah. And and now that you're saying that, I'm like, which, which one? Oh, wow. <laughs> There's multiple. I, I think the one that I mentioned was I was, I was preparing to go on a missions trip with this church community that was affiliated with my high school. And I had like this relationship with this pastor that like, I don't know, like reevaluating and looking back doesn't make sense, Mm -hmm. but it took, it took me a long time to reevaluate this because I didn't leave until the church until like 10 years later. And then eight years after that, I was like, oh, that was weird. But it was just a little too intimate. There's aspects of that that I don't fully remember. And some instances, like people telling me things about it or his wife telling me things that were just like, doesn't add up. That being said, I don't fully remember it. But the thing that I do remember is, is I was on the phone with him and I asked him something about the mission trip. I was like, do we need to be at this meeting? And how long is the meeting? Because I had homework, I was involved in sports and I was tired (laughs) and I just needed to know like, you know, how long is the meeting or whatever. And he like, he fully went off on me as like an adult grown man, just yelling at me on the phone, telling me that I, that my attitude brings down the entire youth group community, that when I show up, that my, my temperament is like discouraging to people. And it's like interfering with the spirit of God. And it was like really, really strong language. And so I don't, I don't know how I had the like balls to just be like okay I'm gonna call you back (laughs) so I called my sister and I was like what's going on this youth pastor's yelling at me she's off at a Baptist college and she had some saneness to like talk me through this but I ended up telling him calling him back and saying like I'm going to think about and evaluate what you said but I'm not going to be going on this trip and I'm not going back to this church and leaving but it was it was really disturbing and like the the fact that a pastor told a teenager who is depressed that my experience of depression or my sadness was bringing like was inhibiting the spirit of god and ruining everyone's time at an entire youth community 
is awful. Oh yeah. Wow. And so did you did you leave? Yeah. I did. I did. And then I found out that there was because some of my friends were still attending and there was a lot of other things that took place on that missions trip that were just like really bizarre. Like they weren't allowed to eat for a time and a bunch of them were really sick. And it was just really there's a lot of stuff that youth groups get away with in the name of like missionary training and it's a spiritual experience and there's not consent and it's very strange. So a bunch of, almost everyone left after that. Wow. Yeah. Well, that was, that was incredibly strong. How old were you at that point? I was 15. Yeah. Wow. That was really, I mean, a lot of kids would have just taken it and turned up and kept going, you know? So it shows a real strength there that you just were like, well, this is wrong. Because sometimes in those situations, you're so brainwashed into believing that the people in charge are the people, you know, like that they can say whatever they want, right? And at yeah. 15, I feel like that's there's a real strength there to go ahead and do that. Yeah, and, like, it's, it's so funny because I'm like, how? Like, I grew up in this. How was I still so stubborn? And I think, I think I get this from my mother. My mom is like one of the most strong-willed people ever. And she put it into this black and white community, but it's her view of this community. And so when it came to issues, she had like a diehard perspective on it. And it's just interesting because like, when I look back, there's a lot of instances where I was just like, no, this isn't okay. Somehow, even though I was raised in that, and I was like, I think that's my mom. I think I get that like survivor German like <laughs> boldness from her. Yeah, it's it's a really great quality to have. And was there an inc- incidence of unwanted touch in that church? There is a few, yeah, from from youth leaders and from other youth members, from from people who were in the youth group community. It was disturbing, but not quite it was peer related it was problematic but not as scary to me um Mm -hmm. but there was a youth pastor who was not like the main youth pastor but he was always like going up and tickling girls and we had those foldable seat chairs so every time we would be sitting at the table his hands would like come up and underneath our shirts and like tickle us and it happened like every every time I went to church I was always really uncomfortable sitting in those chairs because like the back is open and it was just like really exposed. And apparently he thought it was okay to go around doing that. Mm, yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Like, yeah. Very. So, so could you ever like say to your mom, I'm uncomfortable about certain things that are happening at church. Would you, could you ever speak to her like, like that? I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess I could have, but that wasn't considered a problem. Like Mm -hmm. no one saw that as a problem. It was just what they did. And I, because I like, because I had internalized the view that like my sexuality was dangerous and my body was the problem and it was my responsibility to not tempt the boys. I just sort of assumed that it was like, me that was causing the harm and it was like Mm. maybe I should be I should have better boundaries so I didn't blame him at all I was just like oh I need to dress more appropriately or steer clear of this person or that kind of a thing you know Mm. 
there was yeah. that that same youth pastor that told me I needed to like change my attitude or whatever one night we were at a youth event and he came up and took took the ponytail holder out of my ponytail and just ripped it off my head and I was I was sitting on a couch and I my brother's a year younger than me and he sees this happen and he goes over to this youth pastor who's like 200 something pounds and he's a skinny guy gets in between me and him and says you need to apologize and give that back and he did <laughs> he was like oh I'm sorry wow but it was like why is why is my 14 year old brother having to come to my rescue from this leader yeah it's just very yeah. violating like I cried immediately like someone just pulled my hair like yeah I'm a junior high I'm self-conscious and he messed up my hair and it hurt you know it's not yeah okay. like you say I mean in those sort of church environments there's a there's probably a whole bunch of people that just get into these leadership positions and you know, they think they now have the power to kind of do whatever they like. And it's quite scary, isn't it, really? Because it's in the name of God, and we're all here for love and all of that. People get away with so much stuff. It's kind of, yeah, terrifying to me. It really Uh, is. Yeah. So let's talk about Little House on the Prairie, because I used to watch that show religiously, every Sunday night as a little girl, absolutely loved it. For anyone that is listening that didn't watch it it was a historical drama about a family set in the 1870s and lots of things happened to the kids on that show that makes it sound very boring but (laughs) historical drama but I think it was ahead of its time in many ways because there were so many things so many issues that they talked about why did that show have such an impact on you oh I just okay so it it's it was such a drama I loved like to this day I love BBC like longer dramas like Bridgerton and like Cranford and like all of those drawn out BBC versions of these old shows because I like the drama the interpersonal stuff but in my early memories like because I had ADHD I had a really hard time remembering numbers and dates so history was really hard for me and I ended up attaching to history through American Girl Dolls and their historical stories. So I got to remember dates through story. Mm-hmm. And Little House on the Prairie was like a come alive version of American Girl Doll. It was like they got to wear cool dresses. I only wore dresses until I was 12 years old, like only. So they all wore dresses and I thought that was so cool. And it was just so pretty to me, like mm-hmm. not the family, but like, they had a, like a town gossip and they got to run around in nature. And like, I ran around with my cousins on their farm. So it felt like I could be this person and they brushed their hair a hundred times at night. Like I loved that. I thought it was so great. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. I felt like we, ha- we all had to brush our hair a hundred times. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that, that's right. I remember that too. Yeah. I think it was ahead of its time, but I, I haven't watched it since I was like 15. Yeah. But you talk about seeing rape portrayed on the show and it's funny because I I do remember seeing that but yeah probably not really understanding it at the time it obviously had an impact on you though yeah I didn't understand what like I didn't get sex education so I didn't understand what that meant I just knew that like he took her and did something and then she was pregnant and ashamed and like 
her entire community was like shaming her and she didn't have a choice like she was drug away from where she was and yet it was still her fault Mm. and like the fact that someone would like come and take someone away and do that and then completely ruin your life was horrifying to me and I think I was like eight or nine I don't remember maybe even seven it was very young and it was just really scary to me it was like one of the scariest outside of my own mind and hell it was like oh this can happen in real life this isn't just hell this is like something could happen to me and then it could be my fault and my life would be ruined and there would be nothing that I could do Mm. and they were definitely the values weren't they at the time if you were the woman in a situation like that then you were the problem when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And you mentioned then, that you didn't have sex education. Were you able to talk to your mom about that sort of thing? Was How did you get your information? It's an excellent question. I'm like, when did this all happen? So I think at like seven or eight years old, I, I was shown a book, my brother and I were shown a book of Adam and Eve. Right. And it was like, these two came together when they were married, and which they weren't married, but like, even in the Bible, they're not married, but they were married and they like had a baby and that was it. And I was like, okay, can we go play now? We ran outside. Then like a year later, my neighbor who was like a little older than me by like one year or something told me what a period was kind of. So I was like kind of getting like drips and drabs from different people. But I thought my mom wasn't someone that I could talk to about that. It was Neither of my parents, they were very, very uncomfortable talking about anything remotely sexual. Um, however, when when I told my mom I was getting married at like 26 and we were like, it was like the week before the wedding. She's like, do you have any questions? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> like I'm 26 years old. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's but yeah, I so think funny. Oh, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's terrifying. Like, no, I, oh my God. It. Yeah, I just didn't know. Like I I thought when I was in college, I was like messing around with my one of my boyfriends. It was after college actually. And like he came and come got on me. And our clothes were on. But I swore I was I was like I'm going to get pregnant. And I like had a panic attack. I was like googling like is this possible? And like 
sex education site. So I, I learned sex ed from like those panicky moments. I'm just like, but what, how, how does this happen? Like, wow. Cause I just didn't know. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was interesting being in those scenarios. There was no, there was no way for, for us to be safe. Like, because, because saying getting birth control would, would be planning to sin right. and we weren't allowed to plan to sin. Right. It was supposed to be like an accident or a mistake. So pre predetermined or whatever was like the concept if we had planned to do so, which I think is why, like, I mean, one of the many reasons why abstinence only education doesn't work is because it was just like this. We were not wanting to plan. We didn't want to plan to sin because that was part of the problem. Uh, yeah, I've yeah. never thought of it that way before. Yeah, yeah. Wow. When you would have got your period, maybe that was even just a terrifying kind of incident. Then if you don't even know what's going to happen to your body. I had my period late, like 15 and a half. So all my friends had gotten it first. And <sighs> thankfully, like I had the American Girl doll book about like what to do when you get a period, how to put a tampon in, which was still terrifying for me. But at least I wasn't panicking because all of my friends had done that first. My sister had first, like it was, thankfully I was surrounded by a group of girls who had been there first. So when I got my period, they were like, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it felt yeah. support. It felt supportive in that way. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. You need those other people in your life, don't you? Like if you don't have the, the mum that can actually communicate those things to you and you talk about an incident that happened at summer camp being sexualized when you were nine. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, there there was really, really strict restrictions on dress code for summer camps, for church summer camps. And this one particular one is put on by Southern Baptists, the Awana program. It's a Bible memorization program, K through 12. That is all over the Midwest. And I was in it from kindergarten or pre-kindergarten because they had a little daycare there for the youngest ones but the first time we got to go to camp um it was like fifth grade fourth grade it was young anyway I think it was about nine or ten and before we went to camp my mom like took me to the thrift store to get clothes for me I'm really tall and I was really tall then too and so the limit on shorts was like really hard to find we don't have any money my family is poor so my mom took me to the thrift store and was like, let's find some shorts. And so a lot of them were jeans that we cut off to be as long as they were supposed to, because that's all we could do. Some of them were shorts that my mom was like, that's close enough. It was like a quarter inch too short because they had to be to your fingertips. Wow. Also, I have symptoms of Marfan syndrome, which means my hands are longer than the height of my, like my wingspan, quote unquote, is taller than my body which is abnormal. So that was the half inch <laughs> that we were dealing with. Wow. And I wore those shorts at camp. And this leader who's given me a hard time all year, like she bullied me about all kinds of things, not getting like the smallest details right. She was super perfectionistic and really rude to me. She was at camp and she came up to me and she's like, let me measure your shorts. And so she had me put my hands down and she's like, your shorts are too short. And she followed me into my cabin and was like, you need to change. So I had to change in front of her, put pants on. And 
then in my sassy ass attitude was like, are these long enough? And she was like, are you getting an attitude with me? And I was like, no, but like, it was, it was really disturbing because it was, because she's like, you don't want the boys to stumble. Like, that's what this is about. Like you Mm -hmm. as this tiny little kid are like a stumbling block for the boys and adult men leaders. And then you came in here and watched me change. I'm confused. And it was just really shameful and embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And I and my mom didn't think I did anything wrong. And so I was really like, but my mom said these are okay. You know, and my mom is like a great person. And (laughs) what, what is the problem? But I was really singled out by her. And it kind of gave me a complex and a rebellious nature around shorts. Yeah, but also just so much shame, like oh, so but just much. just your body, you know, and and your body is going to cause all these people to, you know, have a reaction. I mean, it's like oh, it's just so much stuff there. <laughs> it is really, it is really hard to like. It's been a challenge for me to to be in my body around other people mm. for that reason. Like I'm, I have tended to because of that be really conscious about how my body is just existing in a space and drawing attention and whatever because it's because of all of that because there's so many of those messages that my body still remembers Mm, absolutely and you said you're quite tall so you know you sort of stand out as well and that's that's another thing isn't it to have to deal with when you're a tall person you're probably always feeling like you're standing out and attracting attention yeah I wore black until like a year and a half ago Mm. and I I think I moved through a lot of trauma through therapy and coaching and was like oh I like want to wear color and it it happened so quickly like overnight I was just like oh this is different like I like this and I think it it was overcoming a lot of that like discomfort with my body and just being like oh but I like I like my body and I like being here and it's it's not my responsibility what other people think of like me existing Mm, absolutely and I love what you're wearing today it's beautiful and bright and so nice (laughs) so what was your relationship with food like growing up yeah it was I mean we were poor but I don't know that I knew it back then we didn't have a lot of choices we made the best with what we had and I always like liked the things we had like saltines and tortillas with honey and (laughs) stuff like that but as I got older as I got into junior high and puberty my mom made several comments about my stomach getting bigger when I was like trying on clothes in a changing room and she she was really restrictive with her diet as we got older and that started to started to wear off on me. I wouldn't, I would say it wasn't about my weight. It was about like my skin. I wanted to have clear skin. So I was really trying to be restrictive about what I ate because I wanted to have good skin. But it was always sort of this unhealthy relationship with food, a form of like OCD, finding its, finding its way out into different versions. So eventually, in, as I, as I got older, I would fall into anorexia but just on the basis that I wasn't hungry because I was so anxious so I got really 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 thin for a while and 
didn't wasn't doing it on purpose but I was so overwhelmed and unhappy that I didn't I couldn't make myself eat because I was afraid to and then after that I had like a a tiny burst of like healthy eating and then found like diet culture and dove headlong into like different diets and like finding like vegan and like you know like just every category because my dad got sick and him and my mom were like we're gonna try this or we're considering trying this blood type diet and I was trying to be a supportive kid and I was like let's all do it together like let's all you know do this thing together so me and my sister my mom and my dad were all trying the blood type diet which is I don't know the science of it but it's very restrictive to start out with and then you add things back but I was doing that when I was living on a Hawaii campus in a tent with not a lot of access to food so it was like a way for me to control my eating there and through the, through all of that I just kept finding my way to different diets and it was just really easy because that's like what my mom did. I had always observed her be like negative about her body, but mostly negative about other women's bodies. Her and her sisters often made fun of people for being fat and said they were lazy and gross. And those kind of comments just sort of shaped my fat phobia and fear of not being pretty and not being what I was expected to be. So it wasn't until I got pregnant with my daughter that I I was in like a paleo kick at the time. And my actual OB was like, you just need to eat. Like, I don't care what you eat. You just need to eat. And I was because I was like nauseous and I was trying to do paleo broth. And she's like, how about you have some mac and cheese and like call me. And then I ate mac and cheese for like a week (laughs) and Really, like, I I haven't gone back to restrictive eating since then. I've really, like, pregnancy hormones, I think, changed a lot of things for me. So did therapy. But it really allowed me to find balance because I was like, I need to nourish myself for this person to live. And even after she came out, I was still like, I still need to nourish myself so that she can live and have a healthy relationship with food. Mm, That's beautiful, isn't it, to have that realization and... Yeah, I know myself, I have I went through a stage of really controlling everything that I ate for a long time and it's, it's, it's really, yeah, it's so damaging but it, it's all coming from the beliefs I think that we hold about ourselves and so at what point, like you talk about going into therapy, at what point did you realise that all the things that had happened to you, you needed help or was there a kind of a rock bottom moment or when did you decide to turn things around yeah I I would say it was kind of gradual because there were a few therapists I saw off and on through through that process but as soon as I like started to leave the religion that I was in I stopped for a while because I wasn't sure that I would could could find someone who would actually hold space for me Mm -hmm. I found that I would only end up finding like staunch atheists or deeply Christian. And I was wanting someone who could hold that like in between. I'm trying to figure this out without putting their stuff on me. So I stayed away from it for a while and just one by one kind of dove back into these beliefs that I was told. And the first one to go really was hell because it's the thing that was holding everything else in place. 
if I wasn't being threatened with hell, then I could actually consider everything else. So it really was the first thing that I sort of tackled. And I owe a lot to Rob Bell. I don't know if you've heard about him. He's a, he's a spiritual teacher in the U.S. He was Christian. He might still consider himself a Christian. I don't know, but he doesn't believe in hell. And he's, I still listen to his stuff now. He's, he does sermons or whatever, but he, he takes the Bible as an ancient text with wisdom. And it was really healing for me to read his early take on the Bible as non-literal. And with that, he dismantled the concept of hell. And it really, it really was a tipping point for me in allowing those beliefs to shift, which then after many years allowed me to look back at my life and realize how messed up things had been and how not okay it was. Also, like the more I've told my story, the more people are like, I don't know how you made it out. And I'm just like, oh, it was hard. You know, like we just, we accept things the way they are, especially as kids. And there's just nothing we have to compare it to, especially since I was surrounded by people from my same community. So it's really been a beautiful experience to talk to people who've been through similar things and also to, yeah, to bring in support along the way. Eventually I got into therapy and I've been with the same therapist for three years now. She's amazing. Mm. Yeah. And it is just something as simple as the concept of hell, like you speak about, it's almost like imprisoning yourself in your mind and in your body. It's all revolving around fear, isn't it? I mean, it's just fear of of what and that's historically how the church has kept everybody in line I mean that's what they want mm. and even now I have realizations when I speak to people and I'm like oh wow that's exactly what happened to me and because it is our normal it can take so many years to unravel all of those layers right yeah so how important has learning self-acceptance been for you It's kind of been at the crux of all of this, although it took me a little while to get there. I think it was like three years ago, I realized that if I was going to actually love myself and not just want to be someone else, not just want to like become my quote unquote highest self as a way like of escaping who I am, then I needed to reconcile with the parts of myself that I didn't like. And that came from my trauma inheritance, the things that are like my mother and the things that are like my father and my grandparents, those things that had caused the harm that I walk with. And looking at those and moving into acceptance of those things has been one of the hardest journeys I've taken, but it's also allowed me love for myself in a way that I could not have accessed otherwise. It's it's like for so long I was like I love myself like I want to love myself but I was loving who I thought people saw and who I wanted to be I wasn't actually loving the full messy me until I took the time to look at the parts of myself where I was like that's messed up I don't like that I did that or I don't like that I have this tendency or get angry in this way and I'm accepting it and seeing it and loving myself in it it's really vulnerable and it's life-changing. I love that. Loving ourselves for all the messy parts. It is so much a world where we're trying to be what 
people want us to be, right? I mean, that's what we do from as early as as we're trying to please our parents and then we're trying to please our friends. And I mean, it's it, the entire of society is set up for us to, like you said, your sister getting married, having 2.5 children, doing all the things, you know. It's really sort of figuring out how to break free of that, isn't it? and just living as our true self I mean that's that's what it comes down to yeah I don't know if you're familiar with Glennon Doyle Melton but there's one of the books that she wrote I think it's untamed she talks about how there's a group of girls at a slumber party and a group of boys and the parent comes down and asks like who's hungry The boys say yes or no and keep watching the TV and the girls all look at each other Mm. and then respond. And I was like, that is how we're socialized. That's not how we are innately, but that's how we're socialized. Like what's safe for us to do? We're looking around. What are are they doing? And evaluating what's good for us to do as a way of maintaining like a herd immunity, you know, a herd safety effect. And I think it does take a lot of unlearning to get to that space of, But like, what do I actually want or need here? Mm, Absolutely. It's, it's interesting because often in a group, you will maybe have that one person who doesn't need everybody else's approval. And they'll be the person that does actually just say what they want. And then everybody just follows them. Right. So yeah, yeah, um, it's crazy how it's set up. I mean, how do you think you will be teaching your, you've got a five-year-old daughter How do you think you'll be teaching her to do things differently to you? Yeah, I think I've been gifted with an extremely strong-willed child. So I think she she knows her mind pretty well. Mm. I think it's a matter of me just allowing her to be and reminding her of her choice Mm. in the matter. And I hope that we can continue to build a world that's going to allow that. Yes, I love that. Christina, you offer incredible one-on-one coaching for women, supporting them to advocate for themselves as much as they would advocate for others. Who do you work with? Yeah, so I work with women, non-binary folks, and queer men. Um, and I, I typically work with people who are in some kind of giving space, whether it be professionally, or they just tend to be the people who are helping and supporting others. My clients tend to be the people who forget to advocate advocate for themselves and are huge advocates for their family, friends, clients, whoever it is. And our work really then is supporting them to reclaim and reconnect with themselves and creating a their own instructional set for their life outside of the structures that have been set on them. It's really about discovery and the wobbly practice of self-trust and moving into a compassionate state towards their humanity. Mm. And so what inspired you to get into this work? I, because I wasn't great in school, I was so observant of people and I spent a lot of time listening and got really good at holding space for people, even before I knew what it was called. And when I discovered what coaching was, it was through someone that I found on Instagram. And she's one of my coaches now. I was like, oh, wait, this is a thing. And I have I have these skills. And 
so I went and studied at the place that she went and have studied more since and I just I love it like I to me it's really meaningful that something that I've been given because of my experiences and because of who I am is actually in service to others feels really satisfying Mm, it's like a purpose right yeah and so what does it look like for a client to come and work with you yeah so typically I sell like uh chunks of time so we'll do a series of six sessions or 12 sessions or if some people do just like a one-time session but the most popular is the six series session that's a lot of s words over the course of three months, we meet six times and um, every other week, what we're doing is at the first, the first consult we'll have before any of that begins, we'll get to know one another after they fill out a, a consult form where I ask questions about where they're at, what they're wanting, what's going on in their lives. And then in the consult, which is free, we chat about what it is that's going on for them, where they're blocked. And then in the first session, we really kind of narrow out an intention for a direction for where they want to go and where they want to be at the end of our time together and usually like more often than not that expands and grows through the process of our time together but it's it's really about me getting curious with my clients asking them questions and helping them uncover their own wisdom because more often than not we're like when we bring a problem we are saying a lot more than we're expressing with words or than we even know we're expressing. And my job as a coach is to listen to everything you've said and reflect it back to you and reflect back to you the things that I'm sensing beyond the words that you've said and ask questions about that. Be curious, is this is this going on? Is this happening here? And in that process, we tend to uncover beliefs and old baggage that isn't actually serving them anymore. And they're able to move past that just by the fact that they're bringing it up, looking at it compassionately, understanding it in a different way, and then making a different choice. Mm, and I love that. Just, just the idea of uncovering their own wisdom, because yeah, it's so beautiful, isn't it? To be a part of that journey for somebody. I I, yes. I think it's a beautiful mission and where can we find you? Yeah, christinamcarlson.com is my website. And then I'm at Christina Carlson Life Coach on Instagram. And that's where I'm at the most. Yeah, I love everything, Christina. You are amazing. I love everything that you're offering. You're doing incredible things, helping people to heal. And please do go and take a look at Christina's website, connect with her if this chat has resonated with you today. Christina, thank you so much for sharing everything. It's been beautiful chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at My Big Love Project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique.
your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.